Thanks for tuning in to leftcoastnews.net, news and information from the wacky, sometimes communist, liberal west coast of the United States. For more, visit leftcoastnews.net. The Washington State Supreme Court on Thursday ruled that a man who was previously convicted of a sex offense and other crimes can be licensed as an attorney. The 5-4 decision clears the way for Zachary Leroy Stevens, who graduated from Arizona State University's law school in 2018, to practice law in Washington State. The opinion said Stevens had a difficult childhood in Utah and sought refuge online, where in 2006 he sent pornographic images of minors to a detective posing as a 14-year-old. He was charged in 2010 with four counts of sexual exploitation of a minor and pleaded guilty to the reduced charge of voyeurism, which required him to register as a sex offender. The opinion said Stevens had been convicted of multiple serious crimes, including a 2006 plea related to drug charges and a 2013 impaired driving plea the Arizona State Bar Association had rejected Stevens' application to practice there. Stevens' Seattle-based attorney, Kevin Bank, on Thursday said his client had been on a long journey to become a lawyer. Like many other talented lawyers who have struggled to be admitted to the bar, he fully acknowledges that his youthful misconduct was serious, but also that it should not define him, Bank said. Youthful? He was a youth in 2018? Okay. In a statement, the Washington State Bar Association said it is pleased that the case was resolved in a manner that protects the public, somehow, and respects the rights of the applicant. The Washington Bar recommended denial of Stevens' application for failure to pass its character and fitness review. No kidding a standard to ensure lawyers are morally fit to practice, but the state Supreme Court rejected that decision Thursday. Yes, in the land of socialism, in the land of all the criminals have all the rights, and you as a victim do not. In the land where they are trying to keep juveniles from being prosecuted as adults, to let juveniles out of early, to resentence juveniles who had been sentenced as adults, providing college educations for inmates in the state prison system on the taxpayer dime. All kinds of rights to criminals in this state. Criminals are the victims. Like all of us, Stevens is more than the sum of the worst moments of his life. Well, you know what? A lawyer is kind of like one of those jobs where you're sort of held to a higher standard because you are practicing law. You are defending law. You should be some sort of moral. I know these lawyers are all a bunch of shysters, but you should at least not have committed a bunch of crimes if you're going to be a lawyer. This just goes right along with the grease wagon that these lawyers are, right? Stevens has turned his life around, it said, getting married, going to college, and graduating from law school. Yeah, well, you know what? There's consequences for decisions, but like in this state of Washington, they don't like to have consequences 
for criminals or people that commit crimes. There's no consequences for anything. Nobody's responsible for anything. Nobody has to pay a price for anything that they may have done. It's insane. In 2014, the Washington Supreme Court approved the state bar's recommendation to allow a convicted bank robber, Sean Hopwood, to sit for the bar exam, and he admitted if he passed, and be admitted if he passed. Hopwood is now a professor at Georgetown University Law Center and a member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar. Hopwood went on to represent Tara Simmons in her successful 2018 bid to be allowed to take the bar exam and join the Washington Bar despite previously serving 30 months in prison for drug and theft crimes. Simmons is now a Washington state lawmaker and criminal justice reform advocate. Imagine that. She wants to take away law enforcement. Because why? Because she's a, she's a criminal. Because that's how she lived her life. It's disgusting. It's sick. It takes away any legitimacy you may think about the law or lawyers or our politicians, obviously. There's just no legitimacy left. They're all corrupt. They'll let anybody do it, especially a criminal. All right, we're talking about a few bills that are getting hearings in Olympia. SB 6316, the limitation of only imposing tolls on the floating bridge portion of the SR 520 corridor is removed. Oh, big surprise. Most of us saw these toll bridges, toll roads coming, and now, of course... Here they want to open up the rest of 520 to tolls, which means as soon as you leave I-5 or the Bellevue, enter the Bellevue side of 520, you're going to get charged. The Department of Transportation may apply for a state and local sales and use tax deferral on site acquisition, construction, and equipment related to the SR-520 corridor improvements, specifically the West End Project, which completes corridor improvements between Interstate 5 and the West High Rise. Such sales and use tax may be deferred until the 24th calendar year after the project is operationally complete. 24 years after it's complete. Which basically means it's never coming off, because by that time, they're not going to take off any tolls. The project is operationally complete when... DOT notifies the Department of Revenue in writing that all projects qualifying for a deferral within the West End project are operationally complete. New deferral certificates may not be issued once the project is operationally complete. The new sales and local use tax sales and use tax deferral option is exempted from the requirements related to tax preference expiration and performance statements. Effects of changes made by the Transportation Committee in the first substitute of this bill applies the sales and use tax deferral option to the SR520 West End project to only DOT. Prohibits the issuance of new deferral certificates once the project is operationally complete. Well, 24 years after. Exempts the sales and use tax deferral option from requirements related to tax preference expiration and performance statements. Well... They say they have to do this to pay for the improvements that are needed 
And anybody that's taken 520 off Interstate 5 knows that that interchange sucks. And yes, it does need to be upgraded. Something needs to be done with it. But toll roads, are we not paying enough taxes everywhere else? Is there not enough money? I guess there's never enough money. And when the governor likes to give all the money to homeless projects and other stupid projects, then that takes away from the actual projects the state should be taking care of, like roads highways, interstates. But I think we all know that eventually all of our highways are going to be toll roads or some portion of them are going to be toll roads. That's the Democrats' ultimate goal here. It's just a move in that direction. And down the road of criminal rights because the Democrats in this state love their criminals. SB 2099, prior to the discharge of an incarcerated individual confined longer than 60 days, DOC must ensure that every consenting incarcerated individual has a valid identicard or driver's license issued by DOL. DOC is required to pay the application fee, provide a photo for use on the card, and obtain an acceptable signature from the individual. So your tax dollars are paying for these people to get driver's licenses now before they leave prison. In addition to that, the state hospitals, the SCC, SCTFs, and residential treatment facilities operated by DSHS that provide mental health services must ensure that every consenting patient possesses a valid identicard prior to the individual's release from care. These entities must also pay any application fee, provide a photo, and obtain a signature or mark from the patient to use on the card. It goes on to say a reference to Immigration and Naturalization Service Form is changed to a Citizenship and Immigration Services Form for the purposes of identifying documents. So not only is this going to criminals, the long game here, the actual reason, is so they can give driver's licenses to illegal aliens because they are trying to legitimize these illegals at every possible corner. Why do they say we need this? Because it's nearly impossible to function in society without adequate identification. This is an effort to streamline the existing process and removing barriers. We need to make sure that people have the opportunity that people can get replacement identification Successful reintegration is at the heart of public safety. Accessing identification is essential for that to occur. The partnering with local jails will allow individuals the ability to start that process. This is a common sense bill that builds off of broader efforts about promoting reintegration. This disrupts the cycle in incarceration and improves racial equity. Lack of identification is a factor that makes someone much more likely to become homeless. Okay. Not the fact that you're using drugs or stealing and don't have a job and won't pay for a place, right? None of that has anything to do with it. Now, because you didn't have a driver's license or ID, it's ridiculous. Taxpayers should not be on the hook for this. If people can't manage to take themselves into the DOL to get themselves an ID... The state just wants to hold your hand through every bit of your life. I'm sorry, but at some point, adults have to take responsibility for themselves. And we should not be providing identification 
to illegals. We should not be changing the verbiage of the law to citizenship. These people need to go through the legal and proper process of becoming citizens. The state needs to stop forcing this stuff. Give them a DOC uh, identification card, <clears throat> which that is an option in this, but you know they'll be pushing for driver's licenses over DOC cards. Because then they can go out and drive and do whatever they want. And that's what the Democrats want. All these rights for criminals in this state and illegals. Meanwhile, the taxpayers bear the burden, pay the price. What, what do we get out of any of these taxes that we pay in this state? Well, this one you're not going to believe, or maybe you will. We know that Washington, I told you here within the last couple of weeks, they want to pass, they want to create a universal health care system in Washington. We've got the wonderful long-term care act that Ensley was so proud of that really does absolutely nothing, but you get to pay into it your whole life. Now, SB 6069, Washington saves a forced retirement account. Washington State saves a state-facilitated automatic enrollment IRA program is established. All private employers with a physical presence in the state in business for at least two years with employees with a combined minimum of 10,400 hours and who do not offer a qualified retirement plan to their employees who have had continuous employment of one year or more must participate. Washington Saves allows employees of a covered employer to contribute to an IRA through automatic payroll deduction unless the employee opts out. Governing Board Structure. The Governing Board must design and administrate the pro administer the program for the exclusive benefit of individual participants and beneficiaries with the care and skill of a knowledgeable, prudent individual. The Governing Board has nine members, the State Treasurer, the director of LNI or the director's designee and the following members appointed by the governor. Three members with demonstrated financial, legal, or other relevant program experience, one member representing the financial industry, one member representing a retirement advocacy organization, one member representing covered employees, and one member representing covered employers. The state treasurer serves as the chair. Governor appointed members serve three-year terms and may serve two terms over their lifetime. Each governing board member has one vote and four members constitutes a quorum. The Office of the State Treasurer provides staff and administrative support for the governing board. The governing board must meet at least four times a year and meetings may be conducted remotely. The governing board may appoint work groups, including members who are not governing board members, to support program design and administration. State agencies must provide reasonable program assistance as needed. Governing board duties. The Governing Board must establish, design, develop, implement, maintain, and oversee the program. The Governing Board has the sole responsibility for contracting with and managing an investment manager, adopting an investment policy, and ensuring investment options offered are consistent with program objectives. The program must be designed and operate in accordance with ERISA and to minimize costs, minimize risk that employees will exceed applicable annual contribution limits. Facilitate and encourage employee program participation. 
and savings, maximize simplicity, including ease, simplicity. Nothing that the state government does is simple, right? Including ease of administration and use, maximize account portability, and maximize financial security and retirement. The program must be launched by January 1st, 2027, but implementation may be phased in. The governing board may create or enter into a consortium, alliance, joint venture, partnership, compact, or contract with another state or states. The governing board must collect administrative fees to defray the program administration costs. Of course they do. That's really what it boils down to here, right? This is a way to make every single working person in the state pay the state a fee for a retirement account. It'll probably have rules similar to the long-term care, like you can't leave the state when you retire, you know, uh, just a bunch of weird things. You know, maybe there's a maximum payout. Who knows? This doesn't go into it because I suppose they haven't come up, gone that far down the road yet. However, if the governing board enters into a joint program agreement with another state, the administrative fee may not exceed the rate charged to employees of another state in the same program. The governing board may consult with the Washington State Investment Board and the Department of Financial Institutions regarding the program design and implementation. The governing board must consult with the Office LNI and the Office of Minority and Women's Business Enterprises and the Office of the Secretary of State to create a strategy to educate and inform employers about their program duties. The governing board must set an individual contribution rate not less than 3% or more than 7% of wages. Set a default escalation rate that may not exceed 1% per year or cause the maximum contribution rate to exceed 10% of wages. So you don't even get to pick how much well, maybe you do, but there'll be a default. So if you don't specify, you know, 7% of your wage could get taken out of your check into a retirement account, whether you want it to or not. <clears throat> Determine the type of RA, IRAs available under the program. Invest contributions in the default investment option unless the participant elects to invest in a different improved approved investment option. Ensure individual accounts are portable and that former participants are still permitted to contribute to their accounts. Ensure a participant's ability to withdraw, rollover, or transfer account balance is subject to and liable for all fees, penalties, and taxes as required under law. And ensure a participant's ability to receive distributions is subject to applicable law. Okay. Members of the governing board and the office are not insurers to the fund or assets, nor are they liable to the state, to the fund, or to any other person as a result of their activities as members, except for willful dishonesty or intentional violations. Any individual participants' contributions and earnings may be combined for an investment and custodial purposes only. Separate records and accounting are required for individual accounts. Participants must be provided with annual status reports on their accounts and have access to their accounts online. Any money placed in an individual account may not be counted as assets for the purposes of state or local means-tested program eligibility. Employer duties. Covered employers must facilitate their employees' participation in the program by fulfilling the required administrative duties. These duties include registering and providing their employees' information to the program, offering their employees the choice to participate in the program or opt out, 
timely remittance of participation contributions, providing program information to employees, including specific disclosures, and providing information forms and instructions to employees with procedures for making contributions, investment selections, transfers, rollovers, withdrawals, and other distributions from the employee's IRA. An employer's role is purely ministerial, and employers are not prohibited from contributing funds to an employee's IRA. Employers are not fiduciaries, nor are they liable for the program. Investment manager duties. After consulting with the governing board, the investment manager may invest program funds and must provide a set of self-directed investment options for participants to select from. The investment manager must invest and manage program assets in accordance with the investment policy set by the governing board. The investment manager must routinely consult and communicate with the governing board on the investment policy, account performance, and program needs. Investment and operating costs must be paid by participants and recovered under procedures agreed to by the governing board and investment manager. Reporting requirements. The governing board must submit an annual report to the legislature providing information about the program, including participation, account performances, board decisions, and any other recommendations. Department of Labor and Industries is responsible for educating employers on their administrative duties under the program, investigating noncompliance, wage payment violations, and complaints, issuing citations and collecting penalties for willful violations and facilitating an appeals process for complaints. This whole thing just creates an entire humongous bureaucracy, in case you're not catching on to that yet. Huge bureaucracy. I'm not going to bore you with all the LNI fees and fines that they go on about for quite some time. It's, it's quite a large portion of this bill. <laughs> the program accounts, two accounts are established for the program. Number one, the Washington Saves Administrative Treasury Trust Account, which is a program administrative and operating expenditures. Oh, the, of course, that's the first account because <laughs> that is going to be full of money that they can use for whatever they want, right? The Washington Saves Investment Account, which is a trust account to hold participant contributions. Look, I see the point of this program. It's important for you to save for retirement, but any government that is forcing you to do anything, it's wrong. They should not be forcing you to do this. It is a choice. And it is up to you to make that choice. And if you choose not to and you retire and don't have money, then that is your problem. And I know the state's saying it's gonna save them money in the end. 3.9 billion in public assistance programs is what they're saying over 20 years. If people would save $1,000 or more a year for retirement. But it's wrong to do this. And you know that they're going to be making money off of it in some way, shape, or fashion, or they wouldn't be doing it. They're not just doing it because they feel bad for you or they're concerned about you. This is, this is just another form of control. Now, you can opt out of this, but you know how that goes. You won't know about it. You won't have done it by the time that they say, just like the Washington Cares Act, right? They gave you a short period of time, a very short window to opt out, and 
there were a lot of issues of people trying to opt out that weren't able to for whatever reason, and you know this will be the same way. Private insurance companies support this thing, which means they're going to be facilitating or helping to facilitate this program, no doubt, and so they stand to make a bunch of money off of it, too. This is just another corporate. I have no doubt that insurance industry lobbyists help push this thing. This is just another state program, <clears throat> another step towards socialism, because that's what this is. You know, government-controlled everything in this state. Socialism. It's wrong. It should not happen. You have every opportunity to go out and save for your own retirement in your own way without being forced to do it by the state. We're all adults. You should be able to figure these things out for yourself and not need Jay Inslee and the Democrats to come hold your hand through every step and facet of your life to make sure you're doing what you should be as a responsible adult. And meanwhile, the state's collecting their fees for whatever, administering the, pro administrating the program. And you heard me read through all the people that are involved in this, all the agencies that are involved in this. The fees will be substantial. And when every person in the state, just about, is paying for it, well, that's a lot of money coming in. Lots of money. Always looking for more money. Ugh. <clears throat> Senate Bill 1391 directs the Department of Commerce to contract with an administrator to establish a statewide building energy upgrade navigator program by January 1st, 2025 to provide outreach and deliver energy services to residential building owners and renters and owners of commercial buildings under 20,000 square feet. Requires the Commerce to convene a technical advisory group to provide ongoing guidance to the Navigator program and to report to the legislature beginning May 1st, 2026. Well, looking through this bill, what this does is trying to convert people from fossil fuels to electricity, which means if you have natural gas, they want you to switch. But this will also make it so that you cannot get federal loans to make upgrades to existing natural gas or fossil fuel-based appliances. Even though federal funding explicitly allows for high-efficiency natural gas appliances, this state is trying to go against that and trying to stop you if you just want to make upgrades to your existing system instead of switching to their electrical from getting loans or federal assistance to do that. Typical Washington state. If you don't want to go along with their program, you're going to get left behind. That's just the way the Democrats operate. Thanks for listening to Left Coast News. For more, visit leftcoastnews.net. Please subscribe, like, and share to your social media. We appreciate your support.